0: Just go to Indeed.com/slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in to the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McCechney here with Mario Puig. Today we are getting into some ADP discussions. We're going to be looking at the Chiefs receivers, sorting them out by ADP, You're talking Juju Smith-Schuster, talking Sky Moore, the rest of the bunch, miko Hardman, uh, MVS, all those guys. We're going to get into the Mark Andrews narrative because it seems like it's been bandied about a good bit on Twitter. So we're going to have to unpack and, and uh, get into our own uh, perspectives on how Andrews is going to do this year. And we're also going to get into the Cowboys receiving core because there's a lot up for discussion once you get past CD Lamb. Let's start the show. Welcome back into the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. John McCackney hanging out here with, with Mario Puig here on this Wednesday, breaking it down getting into some ADP discussion. Uh, This podcast, again, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Mario, let's kick things off in Kansas City, where uh, we have plenty of sample post-draft here to kind of get into the ADP discussion a little bit further. Let's get into it. I mean, let's start Juju Smith-Schuster right now. We're looking at NFC, uh, so National Fantasy Football Championship data in their ADP dating back to – uh, draft weekend Juju Smith Schuster going uh, his ADP checking in around 71 he's gone as high as pick 48 he's gone as low as pick 88 so that that's a really wide range especially considering like what what um what part of the draft he's going in and then you know you dig in a little bit further Skymore ADP going as high as 76 as low as 163 but it's settling in at, at pick 116 so just give us your read here as it pertains to you know what's who's going where in, in this offense, and who are the ones that, that you're targeting at cost?
2: Well, it's a pretty weird situation. I don't mean to make it sound like it's simple or anything, but I think from what we know, what we've seen so far, and what we have reason to believe as a result of that, we should assume Juju Smith-Schuster is pretty easily the leading target among these four guys, and I think that uh, it's possible that, that a second receiver, aside from him, could, could be useful in fantasy. Obviously, I'm inclined to believe that if that, there is one, it would be Michael Hardman. But it is possible, of course, that since Travis Kelsey plays such a leading role, that um, with the wide receiver one in this offense, at risk of being more like a wide receiver two in actual function, whoever the wide receiver three and four are might not matter that much, as tempted as we are to really hash it out, down to... The finer details but one thing that i will say in the meantime is while i like sky more and i could i think i can go as far as to say like i was an early proponent of his like i I've, I've, I've always uh or since i've known sky Moore as freshman year of western michigan i've always thought since then that he was underrated as a prospect and then the draft showed up and him going in the second round it was like oh yeah that's that's about right that's it, a, a while ago, it seemed like Sky Moore wasn't even considered like a top five round sort of prospect. So that mm-hmm. that was that was a big win going in the second round. I don't think, however, that it makes him anything like a mega prospect or anything. It's just like the the hype with him was more. Uh, it generated initially in a time when he was kind of overlooked, and now he's he's more appropriately uh, known. But what what people tend to do a lot of the times, you know, at least the people who took him in the seventy sixth or whatever that highest pick was they tend to look at everything in a very automated kind of way of reasoning where uh, they want to be able to put everything into a formula, a model thing that that'll like spit out a definite right answer. And um, I, I don't think that it's true that just because some person has higher, or some player has higher draft capital than someone who's already on the team means that, Oh, he's just going to plug in ahead of him. Cause that's how the hierarchy, the formula dictates and a lot of people are reasoning that exact way with Sky Moore and the people picking him highest are probably even reasoning that Juju Smith-Schuster is like, uh, I don't know what the hell people think about him. I mean, I saw one tweet from somebody uh, saying that Marcus Valdez-Scantling is going to run ahead of Juju Smith-Schuster because Juju Smith-Schuster got less guaranteed money in his contract than Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Uh-oh. That's hilarious. And it, it speaks to like a general misunderstanding about who these players are, I think. But like whatever you think about Juju Smith-Schuster this is a player who before the age of 22 uh, had something like 2,500 NFL yards, you know, like he was, he was putting top top notch efficiency marks with the Steelers too. Then he moved into the slot and then he got hurt a bunch because Ben Roethlisberger just killed him. And then he went to the chiefs in free agency as this player with two years of, you know, just dead production and injuries. And so that, that those risk indicators are what dictated his signing bonus. It's not like it's not like the Chiefs looked at Marquez Valdez Scantling and Juju Smith Schuster and said, Well, uh, strictly on the basis of how many times we're going to target you, we're going to give you these respective signing bonuses. It's like, no, Marquez Valdez Scantling was in a more of like a scarce market as a huge fast guy, even if he can't catch, which he can't. That was what they were paying him for. The the being fast and tall thing. It wasn't to catch passes. And Juju as more of a, especially since he's been labeled as a slot receiver, I don't buy that he is, but because he's been, you know, uh, typecast as a slot receiver, he's viewed as more easily replaced, as more dispensable than a big, fast guy. So that's that's what the market led him to. You know, he's like, if, if guys like Hunter Renfro are going in the fifth round, yeah, why would you pay big money for a slot receiver if he's in free agency and he has no market and he's injury prone? But the Chiefs know that they need Juju Smith-Schuster to catch passes. And the, the, what it's going to do or what, it, what it's going to end up being, I think is Juju Smith-Schuster has a big year. If his health is is provided anyway, like maybe, maybe he just keeps getting hurt. And at that point it, it is more, more confusing yet to me, how it could all work. Like it could be Sky Moore who plugs right in and Sky Moore was initially more of a slot receiver at Western Michigan, even though he's got the wheels to play outside and he, he'll certainly do that. Um, but I think Jesus Mishuster is going to be mostly an outside receiver for the Chiefs. I think okay. all the Scantling and Hardman are going to be the slot receivers. Um, so I think he's going to just kind of rake. I think if Jesus Mishuster stays healthy, I think he's catching, I don't know, at least 90 passes this year. And part of that is because I do think he is the guy that he was with the Steelers early in his career. He was that guy at USC. It's 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 uh, more of a leap to me to imagine Juju Smith-Schuster as being anything other than those two things. Like th- that's a very Juju Smith-Schuster as anything other than an elite producer is a very recent development, and it only occurred in times where he didn't play due to injury. So I think he's clearly the guy uh, aside from Kelsey anyway, uh, if he's healthy. And yeah, if, if Juju gets hurt, that's how Sky Moore can maybe pay off. But I, I also think even in that case, it's hasty to assume he'll run ahead of Hardman, who. People just don't know details about him. Like you can tell if you, if you go around just doing like polls to people about what they think Michael Hardman's numbers are at Kansas city, I guarantee almost everybody would take the under, like they don't know how much he generates yardage wise, touchdown wise per snap. They think something that isn't true about him because they haven't paid much attention. in the few times they did pay attention, like in the super bowl, uh, it's like he dropped some pass and then another one, it's like Jamel Dean jumped in front of it and people blamed him for that. And so they think of things like that and they don't know his act the actual stuff of his numbers. And so I think he's clearly the bargain if there is one um, among the non juju chiefs receivers but even Hardman has obvious limitations like he's he is at risk of being a decoy deep he's at risk of uh, dropping passes over the middle of the field in traffic but he's also clearly uh the the most explosive player that they they have aside uh, you know they added more and maybe he'll be something else like he could more could kick ass but he will need to kick ass to be as good as Hardman has been in the role that he's been in. And Hardman has is still even now only in his fifth year playing receiver after playing corner his first year at Georgia and playing quarterback at high school in high school. So him just turning 24 guys with his profile improve all the time guys with his, his youth and inexperience often change the nature of their play over the course of, of their early development. So I think since he's basically free, Hardman is clearly the one to pick aside from Juju Smith-Schuster. But I also think Juju Smith-Schuster is too cheap because I think if, if he plays 17 games, he's a wide receiver one. I don't think there's any doubt, honestly.
1: So let, let's get into it a, a little bit further when, when it comes to Juju Smith-Schuster, because, you know, the usage uh, again over, over the last couple of seasons in Pittsburgh and obviously the injuries. But, you know, I think a lot of people are projecting him as the slot as like the primary slot option for for this offense and and therefore, you know, b- bumping, you know, guys like Sky Moore and, and MVS uh to the outside and they think that those are the, those are the two players to target instead.
2: Yeah, and if if he runs in the slot with the Chiefs, that's fine with for JuJu Smith-Schuster. I mean, Tyreek Hill played mostly in the slot last year. They moved him inside a lot more. I don't I don't know if that was uh to try to run him at the safeties and the too high like theorize – reasoning that like that way it's one-on-one with the safety instead of double teamed with the safety and the corner both playing zones on him i don't really know for sure but they already showed last year that they can channel most of the wide receiver usage to the slot if they need to so if juju semester is running the slot that's fine but i think people are wrong if they assume that he needs to play in the slot he didn't for those first two years he was mostly outside for the Steelers. He moved inside basically when they drafted Deontay Johnson, and I think that was largely to accommodate Deontay Johnson because Deontay Johnson, he's too skinny to run those routes. If they if they run those Juju Smith-Schuster routes with Deontay Johnson, he's on IR the last two years instead of Juju Smith-Schuster. Hmm. So I think that it was kind of a de facto sort of thing. Like they, They're like, well, Deontay's got to play outside, so he's playing outside. Chase Claypool is going to be kind of like an all-purpose. He's going to swing between the slot and outside as needed. And Juju will be the slot guy when we have a slot rep because you know he's he's two ten he's 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 built pretty well he he's physical he can do that. What they didn't anticipate was Ben Roethlisberger deteriorating in such a way that he couldn't throw to the middle of the field anymore without killing Juju anyway. He couldn't throw to the middle of the field anymore. So I know that people look at Juju Smith-Schuster playing the slot recently as a basis to assume he's a slot receiver, and they look at his lack of production the last two years as a basis for assuming. He's some kind of bum, apparently. But no one was producing with that slot receiver role because Ben Roethlisberger couldn't set his feet fast enough to throw those routes. And even if he did, he knew they would get picked off, which is why, and i talked about this a lot, and I I don't know why more people don't notice this, Ben Roethlisberger would frequently catch a snap and just chuck it at Deontay Johnson because he'd look at the middle of the field and he'd be like, I don't really know what's going on there. I know it's not good. I know I can't get the ball through it, whatever it is, so we're going over there that's how it worked and people who are in curious to actual football events and certainly tape of football games will look at those target numbers and just say like oh he he alphaed like that is that is not how an alpha receiver looks an alpha receiver can post baseline efficiency above the team they play for that's not what was happening with Deontay Johnson and it's not his fault those those targets weren't quality they were fake targets so it's it's just extremely wrong I think to to his to uh to assume anything in particular about Juju Smith Schuster based on the last two years, it's just, it's a, it's a totally contaminated sample, I think. And the current ADP seems to base everything on that. Like, it seems like even to the extent that which Juju Smith Schuster is drafted, it's sort of like the drafters are in in question, are just kind of going like, Oh hell he's, he's on the chiefs. Maybe it'll work. I don't know. There's no one who there's, you can tell that the ADP for Juju Smith Schuster no longer believes that he's actually a good player, but he
1: is. Right now, that I think that's a really good way of, of summing it up. I, I think that yeah, the public has pretty much uh, soured on, on Smith Schuster because of uh, the way that these last uh, couple of seasons have gone. I guess what the last three seasons really because he's still um, like twenty five,
2: and he's I know he's been in the league. He was twenty. I don't think he turned twenty one until like the November of his rookie year, and he still barely missed a thousand yards. And with, did they still have like a man? Who the hell? He wasn't the he was not the wide receiver two that year. And then the next year he was the wide receiver two and went for like fourteen hundred yards with superb efficiency. And even if you believe Antonio Brown drawing coverage was the main reason he did that, it's like okay, well the Chiefs have Travis Kelsey and he has Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback. He did it at USC too. It's not like this is a recent thing for him.
1: Right. No, he. he I remember back in the early college football, people
2: thought NFL he was going to be like a top five pick until he yeah. ran a
1: four five four. Exactly. No, exactly. Like he he was as bankable as they got back back in college. Like he was sick. Um. So I hope he taps back into that. I hope he you know is able to stay healthy for this season. I mean, there's obviously just so much potential in this offense. I just what what does this offense really look like? Because you you can't just replace Tyreek Hill one to one. That was such a. Perfect They're going to have to different. They're
2: going to yeah. have to look different, and um, I think they might run more than people want them to. I, I, the, the reason I'm not concerned if they do is because I think it'll work really well. I we, We've seen Spencer Ware and Damian Williams put up just, you know, MVP caliber numbers as a running back in this system. And I, as much as that certainly had something to do with Tyreek Hill, I think it more so has to do with Mahomes. Like, yeah. even if Tyreek is out, Mahomes will scare to death any defensive coordinator. They're not... They're not just gonna approach the Chiefs now like ah we can we can suicide blitz it's easy now because there's no Tyree kill no you play that too high anyway and when you're playing that too high and when you grant so much space underneath out of the the well uh, the, the solidly based paranoia that you need to stop the deep pass against him what that does is and I think Kareem Hunt benefited from this too. Like, it just makes it easy to play running back on the team. That's why Jarek McKinnon, Darrell Williams were putting up numbers. People people who don't watch the games or are looking at the numbers like, wow, they're they're running all over the place. Like, no, the defense is not anywhere near them because they don't care, and they shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that if, if teams are going to defend you that way, you should say, well, to hell with you. We're going to bash you with the, the run game between the tackles until you bring one of those safeties up, and then we'll kill you deep again, and then, you know, we'll just win, and you won't be able to do anything about it. Whereas last year, especially when Clyde edwards hilaire was hurt, they couldn't really call the defense on that bluff. The closest they came was that game, uh, a couple games where Darrell Williams would catch like ten passes for hundred yards every time uncovered underneath. And more than those plays, they would they would stand to benefit from uh, play formations with personnel combinations that are the same as when they're throwing deep, but then run in those situations. Like you 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 want to you want to run. From the same looks that you need to throw from because the defense has to respect both in that case, whereas it was more like you could kind of tell they weren't going to run when they would put uh, Jarek McKinnon on the field and uh, over time, by the way, they would have adjusted to those those underneath passes even uh, eventually, but they weren't respecting the run and not that it's the same thing, but you can remember a couple of years ago with the Seahawks when they fell apart in the second half of the year. Tyler Lockett was like, well, yeah, the defense started doing this stuff. They started sitting on our routes where we were, you know, we were killing them in the the early, you know, six weeks or whatever it was. But then defenses started sitting on our routes and we couldn't make them pay for that. Like, that's, that's like the tension point that the chiefs are at I think and Hmm. Ronald Jones isn't very good, but he's definitely good enough to run in that situation. At least if Damian Williams and uh, Spencer Ware are, so is Ronald Jones and Clyde Edisolaire has been effective as a runner. He's just been hurt a lot. So the way I see this offense going is Clyde edwards Solaire getting like eight to 10 carries per game. Ronald Jones getting like 10 and up to 20 as needed, depending on the game flow. And and this is another reason, by the way, I'm a, a little skeptical that there will be a wide receiver three producing in this offense. I think Clyde edwards Solaire, because he's the only one who can play passing downs, is going to play all the passing downs, which is to say he's going to get all those reps that went to Darrell Williams and Jarek McKinnon last year losing some of the the run share to Ronald Jones. But I think Clyde edwards hilaire is a much better threat uh, uh candidate I should say to be the uh third leading reception leader behind Kelsey and the wide receiver one. I'm I'm assuming Juju of course. Uh but I I think he's a much better bet to clear like 60 receptions this year than Sky Moore is.
1: Okay. All right, that I mean that that's They're going to they're gonna have to they're going to have to move way. to the backfield a little
2: bit. And I also like Isaiah Pacheco as far as that goes, because he's he's uh if, if you give that guy space, if you don't try to to play the gaps against him, I mean, he's definitely fast and he's definitely going to run hard and he's he's not going to go down easy, especially if you let him get five yards of steam going. So I, I think they could kind of go wild on the ground this year, even though no one respects the running backs, really.
1: Yeah, that, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, all those running backs are obviously relatively cheap at at cost. I guess uh, rounding it back out for for best ball, it in, in years past it, it became essentially impossible to pull off the real chief stack unless you had a third round reversal. Where you know again, I'm talking about uh, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill uh, with your first three picks. That, that's what you'd have to spend it on. Obviously, that's different this time around. Are you entertaining the idea of going with some chief stacks now that it's a little bit more affordable? Obviously, you're going to have to spend your second and third on on Mahomes and Kelsey, um, but when you have when you can wait till the sixth, seventh round to get a Juju Smith Schuster, you can wait a little bit later for for Sky Moore, or maybe not that much later, as as we just established. Um, is that something that you're gonna you're gonna test out at all? If there's a part that I can't get on board with. I mean, it could be Kelsey. Don't
2: get me wrong. I if if you if you got to take him at like twelve at the latest. Still, I don't even know pretty much. Okay, um, that's a little tough to swing. But I guess uh, if you're talking about a portfolio of best ball teams, and you're you're basically trying to line up some amount of exposure to pretty much every scenario, then yeah, if you if you're trying to get a chief stack, Kelsey at that price is fine. Uh, more likely to hang up for me would be Pat Mahomes who I have no doubts about him at all as a, as a player, but the price, uh, you know, I'm not that inclined to take a quarterback early anyway. So subtracting Tyree kill that, uh, that, that, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to want to make them a homes pick. It's like, if he, if he pays off as a part of that stack, I think it would almost require like other quarterbacks getting hurt or something mm-hmm. like that. And, and that stuff happens or are the quarterbacks, you know, or the bargains that we're counting on, sometimes they they fall through for reasons that you know aren't really their fault and that we couldn't anticipate but i feel like mahomes anywhere before the 5th round is just kind of begging for a, a bit of a dud pick there
1: uh, no that's a that's a good call and you know especially if they just, run more see yeah and yeah you know, th- there's just going to be less of those big you know game shifting uh long touchdowns and and things like that so also that, that defense could get better like they might not need, like there are, there are plenty of games over the past few years
2: where Mahomes went totally nuts basically because the defense didn't show up. And if that happens even this year, he'll still be Pat Mahomes in those cases, but they might not have as much pressure
1: to to score quickly basically as, as in past years. No, it's a, that's a really good point too. So <clears throat> suddenly that, you know, it's, it's too bad. I've, I had gotten used to this chief's offense as being this constant, you know, you can tune in and you know, they're the most fun team to watch every single Sunday. It's going to look, it's going to look pretty different this I year. I think they're still going to be awesome. I think they're going sure.
2: to be a healthier offense this year. Because last year, Mahomes still had the volume, obviously. But there were too many cold stretches. There were too many stretches Oh yeah, They, couldn't, they, they couldn't get out of their ball. own
1: way for like yeah. a, a really large chunk of the season. They're, you know, Obviously, like the, that game against the Bills on the Sunday night game was, was uh, not the playoff game, of course. But the, the regular season game was kind of like the nadir of, the, of their season. There, there were some other just kind of weird games where you're like, okay, all right, like, you know, the, the chief stack is cheap and DFS, blah, blah, blah. And uh, there was a reason why it just, you know, they, they kind of dutted out um, several different times there. Uh, before we jump on over uh, to our next talking point here, we got a message, a couple of messages here. Uh, first one from our friends over at Blue Wire.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: And a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You will have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a Dynasty of Champions? Sign up now at dynastyowner.com and start building your dynasty today. All right, Mario, onward. We are going to, we were just talking about a a premier tight end and Travis Kelsey. Let's get to the other guy uh, who has his hat in the ring as far as tight end one is concerned for this year. That's Mark Andrews uh, of the Baltimore Ravens. Oh, you're going to say Dalton Schultz for a second. Uh, You're spoiling the ending of the show. I know, I know, I know. Sorry. Um, but yeah, you know, Andrews obviously takes on a a huge, you know, kind of a career year last year. The the previous two seasons were obviously really good, uh, really efficient, um, had missed a time here or there, um, over those previous two seasons in 2019 and 2020 plays every game last year, the snap count, and this isn't just because of the Ravens having an extra game last year, but you know, he played 884 offensive snaps. A year ago, goes over 100 catches for the first time in his career, nine touchdowns, 8.9 yards per target. So despite uh, the increased target volume almost doubling um, from, from his 2020 total uh, from 88 to 153, um, he still produced almost a yard better per target over the course of last season. And I think, you know, it, it's fair to say that uh, it's hard to replicate that. It's hard to do that two years in a row, and and uh, that that's obviously going to be a challenge for Andrews. But I think that, you know, the way that this uh, team is set up as far as it's receiving personnel is concerned better, like better for better, for worse, like he's going to need to to be handling eight plus nine plus targets every single week this year. And I I think that there's a long enough sample of proof that he's able to like produce crazy numbers with that crazy volume. Yeah. So I get why,
2: as a general process, it might be bad to pay the redraft price for a player like Andrews when he had a season like he just had. Because, of course, you're not you're not really getting like a a profit margin out of it. If, like, if that right. pick works, it's because he uh, a you made other good picks and and b like you, you got I won't say lucky, but you didn't get as much bad luck as you could have. Because like you have no real margin for error. Like a couple bad games can throw him off of the course that he set last year and, and that you base the current price on. So it, it just makes it a little unstable in tournaments. That's not really a big deal. Uh, Best ball tournaments. I mean to say it's not a big deal. Cause like you, you have to take on some amount of risks. There's always going to be some amount of luck if you're winning in that. And Andrews is, is one of a very few number of tight ends. Like at, I guess at this point you could argue that Waller and Kittle don't even really have this much upside. It's like pretty much just pits which which is in Kelsey I mean to say which is uh which is uh basically the wide receiver one in function of the offense and with the Ravens as much as you might worry about Andrews kind of having some regression from last year getting rid of Marquise Brown will help offset that a little bit like there's there's a certain cushion there now that that wouldn't have been there if Marquise Brown had been there and that's specifically important because of how much of last year's sample was uh, Mark Andrews's production sample was accumulated with Tyler Huntley at quarterback rather than Lamar Jackson and i remember seeing people while that was happening talking on twitter about how like oh Tyler Huntley just has such great chemistry with Mark Andrews he's just he's he's working so great with Mark Andrews and it's not that it's not that they had great chemistry exactly and certainly it's not the case that Lamar Jackson couldn't have done the same thing the reason Andrews was going off was because Huntley could not throw anywhere else. No, Marquise Brown was still getting plenty of targets and none of those passes were getting anywhere near him. I know Huntley, uh, he was certainly playing admirably. He he was gutsy as hell and he kept the Ravens in in games that they, you know, if you had asked them, like, do you think you can play in this game without Lamar? You would have just assumed like, no, they're done. And the
1: Packers game, the, the Rams game, both of those, like with Tyler Huntley as your starting quarterback, you should get smoked and they didn't. Yeah, he kept them
2: in it, and that's all you can reasonably ask of a backup quarterback, but he was awful as a passer. He can't throw in the NFL, and he, he could only throw to the middle of the field and not very far down the middle of the field. So when he threw throw to Marquise Brown, being an outside receiver, downfield-oriented receiver, it was kind of like someone trying to just punt at him or something. Like It, it just wasn't working, uh, whereas Andrews was much closer to Huntley in his throwing spot, and he, he was a bigger target, so you can't miss him as easily. So that was the reason that Andrews was hitting and Brown was not. The reason the volume was so high with Andrews, and, the, and I think part, uh, part of why it was working so well, too, was that over the past couple of years, defenses had begun to adjust to Lamar Jackson in a very particular way. And that particular way is they stopped running man coverage. They started running uh, more defensive backs and covering more downfield. And that's because Lamar Jackson was murdering teams downfield in his first two years. You know, he had like, whatever, 36 passing touchdowns and like 400 attempts, something stupid yep. like that. So he's killing them deep over and over. So they start trying to crowd that part of the field. After they started crowding that part of the field, Greg Roman, because he's a moron, instead of trying to take the open underneath spots and make the defense, you know, he he didn't counter adjust to the defense's adjustment and then keep the defense off balance what he
1: did that's kind of like always been his thing right like his his offenses have had success year one year two in a lot of different spots I mean you know dating back to what the San Francisco Super Bowl run in 2012 you know get get, didn't he get Buffalo to the playoffs with Tyrod Taylor and stuff before uh taking over in Baltimore like he he has a a history of like that surprise like sucker punch first year but he doesn't counter adjust like you said
2: yeah and with Lamar you can tell and if you just look at the way they ran these offenses like with the the Tyler Huntley games and then the Lamar games, the offenses are run fundamentally different. And you can see that Roman made the adjustment with Huntley that he should have made with Lamar. But the reason he made it with Huntley was because he had no choice but to do it. Like Huntley can't throw 10 yards. So he was like, all right, I guess we got to call a bunch of short routes so we can hopefully stay competitive with Huntley. And if Roman were a smart person, he would have done that with Lamar got better results than he did with Huntley and he would have opened up the entire offense going forward indefinitely because if the, if they had targeted Mark Andrews and the rest of those receivers moreover, like if they, if they lowered the depth of target for all those receivers and ran them underneath with Lamar Jackson, like they did with Tyler Huntley, you would have seen those, those big games from Andrews, just they would have been bigger and they would have been games that they won on the way to their playoffs because Lamar Jackson would have been the quarterback instead of, you know, so I only mentioned all of that to say it wasn't a weird way, the best case scenario for Andrews last year, but I think it might be another pretty close to best case scenario with Brown gone and Lamar Jackson on the field. The one thing I'm anxious about is I can easily imagine Greg Roman going back to his, his just stupid as hell plan with Lamar, which is just do r- lots of run fakes and just have everybody run like 15 yard posts and fly routes and, and things like that. And uh, that'll, that'll all work out and it won't. And because defenses have been sitting on those routes when Lamar was on the field and you, Lamar two years ago already was saying after, I don't even remember which game it was, but he was saying, yeah, before the snap, the defense was telling what they're telling everybody, what our plays were. They we're saying yeah. where our guys are going to go. That's Roman. That's all Roman being predictable and running the, these reliable tendencies in reliable, uh, in certain situations And he broke from those tendencies with Huntley out of necessity, out of physical limitation with Huntley. And the offense actually did briefly get better. That's why you saw, uh, I don't know who it was, like Charles Woodson, I think. (laughs) Sorry if I'm slandering Charles Woodson um, with with somebody else's stupid opinion. But somebody like that was saying, man, they sure seem to have something with Huntley that they don't with Lamar. What they had with Huntley that they didn't with Lamar was the offensive coordinator thinking for the first time, maybe I should call a slant. Maybe I should call a five-yard curl. And it wasn't that he thought of it, it's that he he looked at Huntley and said, I can't call any other kind of route with this guy. And he was right. But defenses didn't adjust to it immediately because they thought, hey, Ravens, hey, mobile quarterback, we got to sit at the 15 yards. We got to get five DBs all the time, sit at 15 yards minimum. And that's when Andrews was raking because no one was in the middle of the field and underneath
1: where he was. So how, do, how does this all work this year?
2: Well, if Roman... Uh, gets struck by lightning and becomes a smarter version of himself, what would happen is they would go into it more pragmatically than in the past. They, they would go into a game with a game plan that's prepared to go deep if the defense offers it or if the defense crowds deep, something more like with the Huntley game plans from last year. I just cannot give Greg Roman the benefit of the doubt and assume that he's going to do that. I, I, I love Lamar. I love Andrews. I love everything pretty much about that offense. I even love Devin DuVernay if they, if they use him the right way, but all of that depends on Greg Roman. And I, I don't know how to put it all together. And, and I, I, I just can't, I can't assume he'll do that. So with that said in Andrews's very particular case. I think they are so dependent on him as the functioning wide receiver one in light of that Marquise Brown trade that the volume will be there again, target wise, and it would take him falling off efficiency wise to disappoint. And I'm only able to go to a certain line with that. Even, you know, it's like, I, I think even if the defense knows where Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson are going on a given play, those two can still beat the defense more than most tandems. So, and I think that's exactly what's been going on. Even when Lamar has had a clearer success than he did last year i think that was like basically the defense just kind of knows like all right well we got to watch the run threat and if if we account for that we got to make sure we didn't you know lean too far forward and let andrews pass us or brown pass us but they're only going to go to these two spots and it's like you can still lose surprisingly easy because at one moment where you you see the fake if you think it's actually a run and you you guess wrong what it is you can give up that pass even if you knew where it was going so it's it's uh it's, it's concerning with Roman and I, I think it precludes the the best case scenario I just think that with 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 Marquise Brown mark Andrews' floor is so high because he is the answer to the question of what are they doing at receiver they, they answered the question of what they're doing at receiver by taking Charlie Kohler and Isaiah likely in the fourth round of the draft what they told you is Mark Andrews is not playing in line very much anymore hmm no
1: exactly so he I I think you, you framed it right in the sense that there's the profit margin sense, like because you're going to have to take Mark Andrews probably like late second, early third round, depending on, on the format. So, I mean, that that's, it's tough for him to out produce that, that you're, you're baking in like a really high level of production that you need back from that for, in order for it to just break even. Um, what are your, what are your thoughts just like when it goes back to this offense, because there, there's so many things that are kind of inapplicable from last year Uh, The defense being terrible um, and and having injuries everywhere. And then, you know, the backfield, if it's back on track to to where it was in 2020 or or 2019, you know, what what does that do for the overall health of, of this offense?
2: Yeah, so as much as I obviously am quick to bash Greg Roman, part of why he was shown so conclusively for a fraud last year is because those running backs got hurt. I'm uh, talking about Dobbins and Gus Edwards, and I'm including Gus Edwards. I know a lot of people like to look at Gus Edwards and be like, oh, he's going to get cut now because he tore his ACL. He's an undrafted draft capital. That's like, crazy. And they can't find anybody to do his job as well as he does it in that offense. Like, People are just so stupid about this sometimes. Gus Edwards <laughs> is a total hammer and an automatic five yards to them between the tackle. they need five yards, he gets it. There's no yep. question about it. And that's not something – NFL teams just just dispatch uh, dispense with because uh what what was it like they someone someone thought like oh an undrafted this undrafted guy had a higher grade from PFF in college and he's going to come in and win it's like no that unless you think that guy is taking 150 carries and giving them 750 yards he is not taking Gus Edwards off the field so what the, what the deal is though is some of those looks last year when the defenses are putting 5 DBs on the field and Lamar is dropping back to pass and he's just like standing there no one's getting open he's waiting he's waiting he's waiting and eventually uh, in the second half he just starts running and that's when they would score all their points and in, in the first uh, six weeks or whatever it was until he got hurt in those situations having gus edwards and jk dobbins will make the defense pay for that because if they want to run zone coverages with five dbs there's only so much accounting for the gaps that you can do with how you how you align the defense without giving away the coverages, which defeats the entire purpose. If, if, if Lamar Jackson guesses right what your coverages are before the snap, it's a touchdown. So you have to make sure that he's spending a second or more after the snap waiting to see where the coverages drop. And if you're doing that, you're not specifically lining up your defenders over gaps. And if you're not defending your gaps against Gus Edwards, he's breaking through your safeties. So they have to account for gaps more. And if they don't take their gaps seriously – Some of those plays last year where Lamar Jackson got the ball instead and just, you know, patted the ball for 10 seconds and ran around after that. Those instead will be carries to Dobbins and Edwards that go for 10 yards or more until the defense brings in the defensive backs a little and starts playing more gap defense. Those runs will be there. Players like Dobbins and Edwards will get them guys like Tyson Williams and Devante Freeman and Levy bell couldn't. So they couldn't make the defense pay for that stuff. They couldn't make them play honest defense. Basically this year, they'll have to play honest defense. Um, they'll know more or less what the route combos are perhaps when, when they do call pass plays, but if they don't put a run viable defense on the field and the Ravens run it, they'll just get their asses kicked all day.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, the offensive line should be better this time around. Uh, first of all, there's no Alejandro Villanueva out there anymore. Um, (laughs) Uh, you replace that. I think Ronnie Stanley should be back and, and good Ugh, to go. And I hope so. Hopefully, uh, that that injury, like li- like as the ink was drying on on his contract, uh, that was, oh, that was brutal. I mean, I'm man. glad he got paid. I guess not, I
2: know it's not good for your
1: Ravens, but uh, yeah, man,
2: that is they they're putting a lot on him. So I sure hope that they're right to be optimistic because I don't know what they think their plan is. And last year though they already blew it. You know, it's like last year they they were in that position and they had Vian Wayva. Uh, I hope they're not just whistling past the graveyard again on that. No, and so we'll we'll see. But anyway, Linderbaum at center, like they couldn't. Yeah. Who, who the hell was their center? Even there were so many I think plays with Patrick,
1: Patrick McCarry.
2: Yeah, there was so many plays where Lamar's picking up these ground balls, like in the yeah,
1: McCarry. Hopefully, those uh, days are done now. Yeah, and, and uh, I guess Bozeman was in there a, a bit. I mean, it was like a mess oh, outside of like Kevin Zeitler um, last year, but you know, you, you bring it, they brought in Morgan Moses. It should, the offensive line needs to work for any of this to work. I, I think, um, and, and having those running backs.
2: running backs will help though. Cause yeah. the, one thing, uh, the one thing, the data brained people never pick up on is uh, I should say the the pass obsessed anti-running back people are slow to pick up on is that if you ask a defensive lineman or a linebacker, uh, what they like to do they'll tell you something like, I like to pursue. I like to chase people. And it's harder to chase people after you've been run blocked a bunch of times in a row, and including the quarterback. It's hard to chase the quarterback on a passing play. Even if you, even if it's third and nine, and you know it's that you're rushing the passer, you're not going to have as much juice in that situation if you just had to defend the run eight times before that. Because it, it's a fundamentally different experience as a defender. When, when you're defending the run, the offensive line is attacking you. You, you have to try to figure out where the ball's going as people try to push you backwards. Whereas on a passing play, they don't engage you because they're sitting back and trying to stay in front of the quarterback. It's a lot more stressful emotionally and physically. You, you literally just get punched and pushed around a lot more in the run game because you're not pursuing. You're being pursued. Mm-hmm. So you, you you take some juice out of the pass rush uh, for Lamar when he's going back to pass If you get, you know, 40 yards out of Edwards and Dobbins on that drive before he throws it.
1: No, totally. So that, yeah, that this, it should look different. Uh, I think you, you know, you lay out a really good case as to Roman needing to uh, make the counter adjustment and history has shown that he isn't really good at that. But I think at least this year, maybe he finally turned the the corner at like 56 or whatever he is. If he, does, if he logged on to Twitter.com and searched uh, the posting scout, I think he, he'd really change his tune. Um, uh, listener uh, Johannes uh, has a couple comments here regarding uh, Charlie Kohler. Uh, so Raven, I guess that's Eric or pro- er, probably, or er, he's more like the GM, right. I guess, yeah. um, uh, yeah, says that Kohler in, in the Ravens scouting eye said that he had similar uh, traits to Andrews in his route running, spatial awareness, that kind of thing. Um, and they expect him and, and Isaiah likely to both be like the the F tight ends um, in, in this offense. I, I will say when it when it comes to the rookies, because it is interesting when you look at how like just kind of bad this receiving core is outside of Rashad Babin. And, and yes, like we have op- optimism for for Devin Duvernay, but you know, you've got to call it what it is at a, at a certain point like that right now on paper this is a bad receiving core right so um yeah. so if andrews get, is not in it it's bad yeah right so you look at andrews I, they they go ahead and they spend two draft picks on the tight ends i think i don't know who i think is going to be the one that that wins out but i think that there's some passing game work possibly available for one of those two i'm just not sure which one it is
2: Yeah, um, so the Charlie Kohler thing is an interesting comment because I would say he's similar to Mark Andrews only in three senses, basically, a big 12 tight end, and the other two being they both did produce volume as pass catchers. Charlie Kohler caught a lot of passes at Iowa State, and the third is Charlie Kohler and Mark Andrews are both fast by tight end standards. I actually think there's a pretty big divide between the two in terms of... uh, I don't know. It's, it's something to do with skill and like technique, I guess. But I think Charlie Kohler is a lot more like a person, a lot more like a player like Dan Arnold than Mark Andrews. And by that, I mean, Dan Arnold is a pretty athletic guy and he can make some catches, but he's also kind of off rhythm all the time. And he, he doesn't really, he, he never just looks sharp on the field. Even his catches that he does make, it's like every, everything feels like he's just falling down all the time. Charlie Kohler, I don't think really knows what he's doing as a receiver. I think in the Big 12, he just kind of showed that it's if you're 6'7 and run a 4'6'2, you can generate a certain amount of production because you're just so big and fast compared to the people trying to defend you. Um, I think he's more of like a rotational backup in the NFL, and I don't think he can do many things that Mark Andrews does. But as far as Kohler and likely both being more pass catchers than blockers, that is true in the general inline prototype sense but what you can do with guys like that is run a lot more jumbo formations uh you can you can even run like a three tight end kind of thing where it's like nick boyle by the way is the blocker he's he's a different subtype of tight end than andrews or likely or
1: kohler and he's he's gonna be the inline guy he's gonna be their lee smith or whatever i don't even know if he's really like good i mean they, they had restructure restructures deal that they they draft two tight ends he played 31 snaps in his first game back last year. Didn't play more than 20 the, the rest of the way. Like I, I'm worried that that knee injury he had against New England. I was, mean,
2: if he can't played, play, then, then they don't afternoon. have actual tight ends.
1: He's their only actual tight. Even Andrews is not a
2: real tight end. He's a right. just, you know, big receiver. Um, I mean, they, they they can either be wrong about Boyle and have to sign somebody else, or they're going with Boyle. I mean, he's 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 a different position than those other guys. So if he can't play, they, they, they're they going to have to, I don't know, run a f- four-wide offense with tight ends at the slots. I don't I don't Ugh. know what they think they're going to do. <laughs> right, I don't think they're going to do that. Um, but in any case, it is a lot different to have two tight end reps on the field blocking and, and have those two guys be maybe more receiver types, such as Kohler and Likely. And it's another to have only one tight end rep and have that tight end be Kohler or Likely. Um, what that, what that does is it just gives them more flexibility and just like putting mass on the field. And I think that can only really be utilized toward giving Andrews more wide receiver reps. Like, I think they they could have a formation where it's like two, maybe Kohler and likely are on, you know, the weak side or sorry, the strong side as, as tight ends, one of them in line, the other to the outside of him. And then Andrews could be the one receiver on the weak side. And they could have an eye formation behind those people, like with Ricard and, and the run game, stuff like that. They could go to just like a mega jumbo offense, but whatever way they do it, I can only see it working toward the end of, of giving Mark Andrews consistent wide receiver function, which uh is what he needs to to offset the likely, you know, regression in his his efficiency or whatever from last year.
1: So she also brings up an interesting parallel here. Johannes does. Uh, so the Ravens and Pats bringing like the, the 12 sets or the 12 personnel, you know, with the one back two two tight ends. And, and you know, obviously the, the Patriots example being uh, Johnny Smith and, and Hunter Henry. Do you see you know, that that type of thing developing potentially?
2: Um, I don't know. I mean, if the more Kohler plays, the worse for uh, Duvernay and Prochet, I guess we can at least mm-hmm. say. Um, cause I don't, I don't think he's really taken anything from Bateman or anything. Um, and certainly not Andrews. So, uh, th- they could do that. I mean, I guess we'll see the people that I know who I tend to outsource my, my tight end blocking judgments on. I don't know what that, I don't know anything about blocking. Um, but the people that I trust with that stuff, they say Kohler is a total goof and like, can't Ooh. do it.
1: That's too bad.
2: That's, I mean, but, he, he, but he can be a better Dan Arnold because Dan Arnold, um, whatever, he sucks, but um, he could have been good at some things if he were different than how he is. And specifically, if he were 25 pounds heavier, like Kohler is. Kohler, Kohler is as fast as Dan Arnold and 25 pounds heavier. So that matters, even if he doesn't have any idea what he's doing. But you can get away with not knowing what you're doing when you're bigger and
1: faster than everybody. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. He's got, I think he's got like, uh, like elite tackle arm length like he's got like 34 and a he's, half so he's so weird he's he's so tall and skinny like a human for forklift
2: yeah he's just like this this fast like pencil on the field i don't know it's so weird he's he's tall and skinny and he is fast and and i don't know the iowa state tape that i was watching just felt like he was just kind of like just stumbling everywhere all the time but he was putting up numbers and you know being six seven and running a four six two the defense has to do something to account for that. Like they have to, they have to understand like he can catch at this height and radius at these various uh, catch points. And like, we got to have somebody standing around or else he'll just do it. Even if, even if he doesn't mm-hmm. really, even if he's a bad route runner or whatever, it's like that height, that speed can, can
1: snare a lot of catches over a, a good amount of space. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty serious catch radius that he that he's bringing to the table. Um So that was, that was quite the, quite the um, discussion on Mark Andrews. So uh, uh, let's give it a a TLDR, but in audio form, yes or no on Andrews uh, this year at at cost.
2: Uh, Definitely not no, but I would want to maybe contain the exposure, uh, at least unless his price drops at some point. Not that I can, not that I can imagine why that would be.
1: Okay. All right. That, that works succinctly. Um, let's finish things out. Let's get on over to Dallas. So Amari Cooper gone, obviously CD lamb, of course, now, uh, you know, one of the top receivers going off the board. He's a lock, you know, mid second round type of guy, ADP just, uh, pretty much in that same range as Debo Samuel. Um, so, and he kind of marks the, the end of a, of a receiver tier, sorry for, for stammering there for a second, but, you know after you get to CD Lamb at, at roughly ADP 17, uh, you get to Kamara Andrews, as, as we mentioned, Leonard Fournette Chubb, and then Tyreek Hill is the next uh receiver. So he, he that seems to be the, the formation of a, of a draft tier as it pertains to the receiver position. So, I mean, that that obviously you know, CD Lamb, if you want him this year, it's going to cost you, but I, I think that you know, he's all the re- all the rationale is there for him you know having another uh, terrific season of course but where does it go from there as far as as this receiving core goes because Michael Gallup is, is back Cedric Wilson is gone but Gallup is coming off that late season knee injury that they bring in James Washington but I I couldn't be more out on James Washington and then they they uh, they, they bring in Jalen Tobert who I liked a lot and can play both you know slot and outside Um, I, I thought that he was going to go higher than he did personally, but I, I think that sneakily, um, you know, there, there's a way that Tolbert does well this year, because again, the two block stumbling blocks ahead of him being a guy who I don't think is very good in James Washington and and a guy coming off an ACL.
2: Yeah. Um, this is a tough one for me to think through because I'm high on a few of the players. Like I'm high on Dak love CD lamb. I think CD lamb as a talent is just awesome. I think he's I think he's very close to the Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase kind of understood level of talent. Uh, not that I'm saying he's as good as them. He's probably not. But I don't think there's that much gap. I think Ceedee Lamb can be a total, total monster. And I think the reason that he disappointed late last year didn't have anything to do with him. I think it had everything to do with Mike McCarthy and, uh, in a sense, Amari Cooper, because they – They changed up their target tendencies a little bit in those final like five games or whenever Amari Cooper went to the press and was like, I'm not getting enough targets. And he was right to say that, but that just leads back to, uh, I guess, the initial point that Mike McCarthy, uh, Kellen Moore, whoever's fault it is, they were not running that offense well. And because they are not doing the offense well in some of the ways exactly the same as Mike McCarthy didn't do it well in Green Bay, I'm inclined to blame McCarthy uh, but that doesn't really matter uh, for, for CeeDee Lamb if, if McCarthy is still the head coach because uh, either Kellen Moore can usurp him somehow or he's going to keep deferring to McCarthy's judgment, which is awful. But what they would do last year, uh, and this this got really bad, if I remember right, it was definitely against the Cardinals and I think the other game was against the 49ers. And both of those teams were down to practice squad corners, especially the Cardinals. They were, they were playing like Antonio Hamilton or something like that at corner. And Amari Cooper to get more targets was kind of playing a little bit more slot than CeeDee Lamb. And just as a general, just as a general um, tendency of the offense, they, they would usually send CeeDee Lamb pretty far downfield, you know, like 12 plus yards. And that would be the case, regardless of what these defenses were presenting. And in the case of the Cardinals and the 49ers, because they had these backup practice squad corners on the field, they were playing off coverage. They didn't want them playing press bump and run coverage because they knew they couldn't do it. They knew they'd get smoked if they tried to cover these receivers with these corners. So they said, well, the hell with it. We're not going to try to cover you. We're just going to sit back and off coverage, especially because every single snap, C.D. Lamb's running you know, 12 yards or so. We're going to put our corner at 10 and tell him not to budge until C.D. Lamb's within five yards of him, and then we're going to tell him, like, just cover your third of the field. And because C.D. Lamb was running these routes that took two and a half, three seconds to develop, and because these corners were only sitting in parts of the field where it would take two and a half, three seconds to get to that depth, CeeDee Lamb was just running into coverage over and over and over. Instead of running away from corners and having the corners pursue him, he was basically running at the corners because his routes made him do that. He had, he had to just run where these guys were running to, even though he knew they were going there. He couldn't do any – the only way he could have gotten open was to ignore McCarthy's play call and run his own route. So that's at once not his fault and also potentially an enduring obstacle because McCarthy – Instead of being fired like he should have, instead of never being hired like he never should have been, um, he's in charge still. And until that changes, what reason do we have to think that their approach will change? Now, the the, the offsetting thing is, of course, cooper Cooper's is gone. gone. Gallup is hurt. Uh, I also think Gallup's generally a little overrated. Like I think he's fine. I don't think he's. I don't think he's truly good exactly. I think he's more like an average starter, like a non-liability kind of starter. Um, week seventeen ACL tear. I don't, I don't know what to make of that. James Washington and Tolbert are interesting, of course. Um, I I, I guess what what I'll say on CeeDee Lamb is I I am generally inclined to buy because I think he's so good, and I think Dak is really great. And if those two are really working closely together and Dak's doing kind of like hot route stuff with CeeDee Lamb that he isn't the other receivers, I can imagine him going off, uh, like league receiving title kind of going off. Um, especially if they move them around, if they use pre-snap motion, if they call a variety of route depths, if they just make them run 12 yard posts over and over and the defense knows it, that, that could have a diminished return. But at the very least there should be like three more targets per game or two, two, three more targets per game to hopefully offset that. So I'm inclined to buy lamb, uh, up to a certain exposure point. Um, so,
1: so Johannes is bringing up the, the point that, you know, T T Higgins being cheaper, Maybe go after someone else in 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 a CD Lamb's range, and then c- circle back at the or at the beginning of, of the third round and go after T Higgins.
2: Yeah, I, I love Higgins too, and and the other qualified candidates in that range of the ADP is the only reason I'm slightly uh, hesitant with with Lamb. Like I I want Lamb exposure because I I can so easily imagine him raking uh, if if he can break from you know McCarthy. Uh, but there's also good players in that range who who are similarly talented, including Higgins. So uh, I would I would keep the exposure limited to a certain percentage, um, but I'm not I don't know how to say this. Um, I'm kind of concerned for the Dallas offense in general. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if they know what they're doing, and and I don't know if they're prepared to do something different than last year. And I think if they don't do something different than last year, you could have more games than usual. And we already have too many of these games where Dak Prescott just doesn't do anything for like three quarters. And then they, they, they seem to do a kind of comeback late in the game, but it's not a real comeback. It's just, mm-hmm. they ran a bunch of hurry up snaps against a uh, prevent defense that is going to happen even more, I think. So I'm, I'm worried that there's going to be a lot of, um, you know, bet the under on the Dallas offense in the first halves is what I would say at the very least, because I think they're going to, they're going to be, Dependent on Dak going, like, hurry up and aggressive and desperate to do anything, especially against good defenses, um, especially against well-coordinated defenses. The question of whether Washington – I'm not really pursuing Gallup. I, I just I, – I, I'd like to see him do well. I'd like to, you know, see him help Dak. I like Dak. Um, but I don't think Gallup is that good, and I don't think the ACL helps. So, to me, it's more a question of can Washington or Tolbert do anything. And I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I like Tolbert. He's he's a bit overaged for his year uh, his, his experience level so he might be uh, more developed than most rookies are like he he might mm-hmm. he might not need as much development time and if so the question of whether he takes work from Washington I guess would depend on what they're asking that rep to do because there's certain things that Washington just cannot do as well as Tolbert and I, I would say like underneath stuff especially uh like Tolbert's a really good route runner he can create separation underneath even though he's kind of like a deep ball guy at South Alabama it's like he can mm-hmm. definitely work the intermediate and the underneath whereas Washington I don't think can like maybe he can take like a bubble screen and do something underneath but he can't Washington is a is a problematic category of a receiver because he's most skilled downfield but he's a build but he up doesn't speed win receiver. downfield yeah he he's not fast off the line he's not great at evading jams so he's 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 pretty dangerous if you let him get to that depth as a defense but practically speaking the quarterback is usually getting rid of the ball by that time. So it's, it's kind of like a, you'd almost have to just devise a really bad offense to create the kind of infrastructure that James Washington needs to produce. Um, If he's, if he's their best option and no one else is playing, I'll say, sure. He's, he's going to, he's probably going to do something. Cause at that point it's either Dak does nothing or Washington does something, but I'm, I'm not taking Washington until the very last rounds. And and I, uh, it doesn't really matter to me whether it's best ball or redraft. I think he's he's fine for both. Um, in redraft, you can just cut him. If it turns out he's the wide receiver four, and in best ball, if he's the wide receiver four, it's fine. I mean, he's going to have like a couple long catches, a couple long touchdowns, and in best ball, that that as long as that stuff happens, it's not a huge deal that he's inconsistent the rest of the time. Um, but I do worry that Tolbert's just going to basically beat him from day one.
1: Yeah. So do you, do you have some interest in, in Tolbert as, you know, someone that, you know, will you know, say you're getting into like, you're filling your last three, you know, skill positions at one.
2: Yeah. The, the only position. reason I'm not, uh, yeah. The only reason I haven't like gone in on Tolbert, I guess is because I'm pretty agnostic about the whole thing. Like to me, it's like Gallup Tolbert and Washington are all kind of an equal toss up. And I don't really uh-huh. know. I don't really know how we're supposed to discern them, but Tolbert is the one they need to use of those three if they're looking for underneath and intermediate stuff. And I don't know if if Tolbert can play the slot, then that, too, because I guess Washington can line up in the slot. Maybe Gallup can, too. I don't know. But they're only running like posts and fly routes and corner routes. They're not running slants. They're not running across the field. They can't do that. So if they need that rep to do that, it, then it has to be Tolbert.
1: See so. But I'm I'm interested. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not Somebody's going gonna to do like,
2: something. It's just going to, it's like hard to tell what Dallas is going to try to do basically. Cause I,
1: man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. like I like to, I like Tolbert, you know, I've liked him for, for a couple of years now. I'm probably not going to be the guy setting the new men on him, but, um, you know, there are definitely some, some receivers that, that I think, um, in best ball, I would want some over. exposure to both of them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and, and I guess
2: uh, you can have them hell if they're cheap enough, you can put them on the same team even. There it is. Um,
1: I like. I'll, I'll say this. Like, I'll, I'll probably t- have it relatively same ADP both rookies. Um, I'll have a lot more Tolbert than David Bell, probably.
2: Yeah, I'm on board with that in large part. Uh, I, I don't think Deshaun Watson's playing this year, but that's a different subject.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That it, and I don't think Baker's uh, playing
2: for the Browns either. It's whoever the hell else they got laying around. Dang! So that all the all those. Uh, all those Bell in cool 2023, features. I'm pretty interested. I still think he's probably pretty good, but uh, Tolbert, it's like Dallas needs him for certain play concepts, and maybe they don't run those play concepts, but if they do, they're not getting anywhere with Washington and Michael Gallup running, you know, like eight yard in routes from the
1: slot. No. So the, so Tolbert, keep an eye. Put it, If he wasn't on your radar before, uh, he should be there now. Um, thanks, everyone, for uh, tuning in uh, on the live stream. And, and thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to the RotoWire Fantasy Football Podcast. Again, presented to you by Dynasty owner for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for checking it out.
2: Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required.